This is the Best Friends Podcast, dedicated to sharing the people and programs that are ending the killing of cats and dogs in America's animal shelters. You'll hear from animal welfare leaders from across the movement who will share the innovative and collaborative work that are creating life-saving successes in communities of all sizes. Hello, and thank you for listening to another episode of the Best Friends Podcast. This is episode number 122. My name is John Dunn. Now, whether this is your first or 122nd episode, something you will hear on this podcast are the terms Best Friends Network and Best Friends Network Partner. You may already know a little bit, you may even already be a partner, but a very quick recap. It's a coalition of thousands of public and private shelters, rescue groups, spay and neuter organizations spread out across all 50 states all aligned behind the same goal of saving lives. And it's one of the ways Best Friends works to unite all of us, because we want to help you connect with your peers and get the resources you need to save more lives. And as we know, together is better. So from hands-on, in-person assessments, training, program support, networking opportunities, mentorships, events to help you raise money, events to help you place more pets in homes, tons of educational content in the form of online courses, town halls, webinars, editorials, program spotlights, the Saving America's Pets vlog, and of course, this podcast, all of these things designed to help you in your day-to-day work. Now, another benefit for network partner organizations is the opportunity to apply for and receive grants, specifically the Rachel Ray Save Them All grants. We're thrilled to be able to announce that the grant cycle opens on September 1st, so now is the time to start putting together your proposals. There are two types of grants available, and we want to make sure you're putting your best foot forward on your application. We want to fund great life-saving ideas, so what have you got? The reason why we realized we needed it to be um, reached out to other shelters is because we kept going to, you know, these different conferences. And I realized we were doing everything that they were sharing, but we just didn't have the ability or, you know, the funding to be able to do it at a nationwide level. So because of this grant, we have been able to do this and it's been fantastic. I've been receiving phenomenal feedback from the shelters that are able to participate in this. That's Ashley Flores from the Great Plains SPCA in Kansas. They are a recipient of a Rachel Ray No-Kill Excellence Grant. Now they use that money to help create a three-week virtual course on building a sustainable behavior program. Anyone can take this free course that's run by an organization that has a proven track record of success in this area. And that is a great example of what the No-Kill Excellence Grants are all about. You'll hear more from Ashley in just a few minutes. But first up is Bethany Hines, the Director of Strategy and Network Operations. She's back on the podcast to talk about the nuts and bolts of the Rachel Ray Save Them All Grants. Well, Bethany, this is the second time you've been on the podcast in three weeks, which, you know, is pretty unusual for us. But I I think that's a sign that there are so many amazing things happening with the Best Friends Network right now that we've got a lot to talk about. But today, specifically, we're chatting about one of them, the Rachel Ray Foundation and our partnership uh, with the Save Them All grants. You know, Rachel Ray is a name we probably all know, but folks may not have any idea what the grants are and what they're all about. So why don't we start there? Yeah, the Rachel Ray Foundation has been working with Best Friends for several years now. Uh, to support our network partners. And they do that through the Rachel Ray Save Them All Grants Program. So this is an annual grant cycle that we open to our network partners to help close the life-saving gap. Well, help me understand the grants a little bit more because there are two types of grants, right? And organization shelters will be eligible for one or the other 
maybe both <laughs> depends on what it is. So what are those two grant opportunities? And you know, how do I know which one is the right one to apply for? Yeah, I know that's a great question, John. So the original grant is definitely the Save Them All grants. That's kind of the, the beginning of this program. It's the grants that we've been doing with Rachel Ray for several years. And these grants are focused exclusively on closing the life-saving gap in shelters across the U.S. That being said, any network partner can apply for a Save Them All grant. We have kind of two subsets of Save Them All grants, the first being what we would call primary impact. So these are for organizations that uh, network partners that are shelters that still have a life-saving gap and are looking for some funding to help support programming to close that gap. They're receiving the funds and using them in-house, so to speak, to help increase their life saving. Uh, that represents about 25% of our Save Them All grants. The other three-fourths are what we call secondary impact grants, and these are really cool. Um, it's where our network partners are intentionally supporting other organizations. And so you can be a rescue group that is helping a shelter with a life-saving gap, an intake prevention group. You can be a shelter helping another shelter. But essentially, we're awarding the network partner the funding, and they're using all of that funding to support another organization that has a life-saving gap. Um, these are really cool. A great example of this uh, from our cycle this year is High Plains Humane Society in New Mexico. They are working uh, with the city of Clovis, on a secondary impact grant. And so we gave High Plains Humane Society the Rachel Ray Save Them All grant, and they're using all of that funding exclusively to help support adoption and return to owner with their partner, City of Clovis. So we have these two types of grants, quite different in terms of what each one is you know, looking to fund, but I'm just curious, like the restrictions, I mean, I wanna ask you a little bit more about that in a second, but just be clear, like there aren't restrictions geographically. So if you're like in Alaska, that's great. We'll fund you in Alaska, Wyoming, Georgia, it doesn't matter, right? Absolutely, you just have to be a network partner to apply. This year, our grant cycle is going to be opening September 1st. It'll be open for the month of September. Um, if you're not yet a network partner, you can apply to become a network partner and then apply for for a Rachel Ray grant. Um, as long as you have applied to be a network partner by September 16th, you're more than happy to uh, participate in the grant cycle. Again, I just want to reiterate so people can understand that we have programmatic priorities, but it can be any organization anywhere. You know, just because, say, your shelter is very successful, maybe you're saving 96% of the animals that come in, you're still eligible for this. And that's where the No-Kill Excellence grants come in. Absolutely, yes. So the No-Kill Excellence grants are a newer program under Save Them All. We started these, I want to say, three years ago. And this was the Rachel Ray Foundation really wanting to make sure that we were allowing organizations that were already no-kill, that come from communities that are doing well, to still participate in this program, even though they don't have a life-saving gap. And so No-Kill Excellence grants are kind of centered around three things. One, if you're already an organization that's at that 90% save rate, just sustaining it, so funding to help you sustain that. Or if you're an organization that is uh, at that 90% save rate and you're looking to start a new community service to support your community in, in new ways. And then probably the most popular No-Kill Excellence grants are kind of broader mentorship ones. And so I think you're going to talk with Great Plains SPCA, a great example of that. Gateway Pet Guardians, uh, their unicorn foster program. So these are taking organizations that are already no-kill and they're they're taking something they do really well and they're sharing that with other people. They're teaching or mentoring other shelters or other rescue groups about that program. Um, so it's, a, again, just a really great way to see the network supporting the network. 
Well, you know, I feel like I've met so many people over the years, you know, at conferences. You mentioned Great Plains SPCA. They are a part of this episode. We're going to have them on uh, after this bit. But so many folks say, hey, we've got this amazing program. We've developed it. We know it can help others. But, you know, other than, say, speaking at a conference or hosting a webinar or something like that, it's not easy to, to scale those things and get them in front of other organizations, other shelters that really need them. And I, I just think that's why the no-kill excellence grants specifically are so key in terms of us getting to 2025. You know, we know the solutions. We just need to get them out there more quickly. So this is a huge part of that. Absolutely. It's giving the resources to organizations to scale what's worked really well for them. So you can use this to fund mentorship programs where you're bringing other shelters in to visit you and, and learn in person about your program. You can use it for funding for digital services to be able to do uh, sort of uh, computer or digital-based learning with other organizations. You can use it for a staff member to run a program that's just focused on mentoring other shelters. Um, so really, again, just kind of giving partners that are doing really cool things the platform to be able to share that with other partners. Yeah, I think it's an important point as well. You know, I don't mean this as like a knock on other grant making organizations, but, you know, sometimes they can be pretty narrow in terms of what they'll fund, you know, um, but we focus on good ideas. You know, we're not forcing every organization into doing the, the same one or two things. Exactly. The way that these grants are administered, it's very much let's hear about projects, whether we, we've seen them before or they're completely innovative. And if they're a good idea, let's fund them and help accelerate them. Each of the different regions do have regional priorities, things that they want to work on. So those would be the types of grants that you, uh, let's say that I'm here in Illinois. So if I had uh, Bethany's Kitty Rescue and we wanted to, to apply for a Rachel Ray Save Them All grant, to support a local shelter in our community. I can go to the, the grants page and look at the Midwest and hear from Stacy and Liz what their priorities are and is my project in line with those priorities or could I tailor my project a little bit to, to be more in line and make my application more competitive? Well, it should be a whole other episode on writing effective grant proposals, I think, uh, and maybe we should actually do that soon. But the process for this application, it's not cumbersome. I'm so proud of the regional network team. Um, they put a lot of work in, into the cycle this year, and our application has been simplified. Like it is, we want to make this something where if, you, if you're thoughtful about your program, it's very easy to fill out this application. Um, we want to know your project, we want to know who you're working with, and then really basic stuff like your contact information. But it is, uh, we've got character limits and everything. We want this to be accessible and easy for all partners to be able to, to complete. And that kind of goes in line with our reporting requirements too. Once you receive a grant from us, it's very basic data uh, that we're asking you to report on a monthly and a quarterly basis. It's not lengthy. We know that our partners are busy <laughs> and that things are stressful. And so we want to make our application and reporting as simplified as possible. For a long time, I've thought, you know, how great it would be to have some kind of central clearinghouse that the funders can share. So organizations have to go through that same process much less frequently, you know, because the amount of work that can go into not just applying, but reporting. And again, when a lot of this stuff is the same for all, uh, but that's all to say our process, this process is not complicated, but let's talk about compelling proposals because even with a simplified application, uh, maybe even more so you need to be able to stand out right in a very short, succinct way, nail it. What is this for? Because important to note, this is pretty competitive process. You know, I just ballpark it. I, how many applications do we get each cycle? 
Oh my gosh, I want to say last year we had between Save the Mall and No Kill Excellence just over 400 applicants. So how can my organization stand out? Yeah, go through the network.bestfriends.org, go through all the grants material on the website, understand your regional priorities, and just be thoughtful about your project. Um, I think what is going to be for Save the Mall the most important thing is just making sure that the work you're doing is in line with the regional priorities for the region that you're in. And these vary. I mean, you're going to see cats probably in every single regional priority, <laughs> but um, specific projects do vary. So I just pulled up the Midwest page again, thinking about myself as if, if I have a, a cat rescue, what are different priorities? And very first bullet point uh, is impactful feline programming. So this is things like return to owner, targeted TNVR programs, neonatal foster programs, uh, finder to foster programs. So Right away, I know that my projects most likely are in line here. So that's going to help me stand out and make me competitive. Return to home programs are another priority here. Medical programs, intake diversion intervention programs, large dogs specifically, and then collaboration is a big priority for this region. So start by finding your region, go to your regional priorities, go through everything that, that those regions have highlighted as the biggest areas of need and figure out how your project fits in there. And that's going to help you stand out automatically because you're going to be in line with the strategies that that region is trying to execute on. For no-kill excellence, those are kind of outside of the, the regional priorities. No-kill excellence what's going to make you stand out the most. If you have a, that mentorship style program, that's automatically going to make you competitive. I think other no-kill excellence grants that are competitive are ones that do and showcase programming that's brand new. Like what, you know, once you get to 90%, sustainability can be challenging. We, we know that. We also know that we don't have all the pieces to the pie. And so there's new programs out there that we haven't heard of or don't exist. So we really love to see innovation with those grants. Um, celebrating your success and then going out and trying something new. How much are we talking about here that's available? You know, I don't know if that's like gross to talk about, but um, I think it's fair to say it is not an insignificant amount of money this this cycle they are we are again thanks to the rachel ray foundation these grants are large we're very excited about that so we have a million dollars allocated for save them all grants this year and two hundred fifty thousand dollars for no kill excellence grants we do cap our save them all grants at fifty thousand dollars and our no kill excellence grants at sixty thousand dollars but i will say that these grants range we what, what i love so much about rachel ray specifically save them all grants is Really, any of our network partners can apply. We do some Rachel Ray grants that are $5,000. We do some that are $50,000. We do partial funding a lot. So if can we partially fund your program and could you secure funding somewhere else for the other, other part of it? So I think we have 95 impacted organizations right now in our, site, uh, our current 2022 cycle. I think we've got one or two more grants to give out yet. So it's just a great way to support the network helping itself and helping other network partners. Well, just a reminder that we are here to help. Of course, if your organization is not a network partner, you will need to be a partner to be eligible for one of these grants. It is free, easy to sign up. If you need help with your proposal, whatever it is, we are here as a resource to help you. Absolutely. So becoming a network partner, BF Network at bestfriends.org. Meryl oversees that program and she is excellent with one-on-one -on -one communications. If you've got questions on that application, she can help you. With the grants itself, one thing you can do is schedule a consultation with your regional team members. All of the regions do this. It's really cool. Um, so again, you get a free 30-minute session with either a regional director or a regional strategist to just talk about, like, I have this idea for 
for a grant? Is this something that you would want to fund? How can I highlight certain things on my application to make me more competitive? So from all sides of Best Friends, you can get support along the way. We've got links in the show notes for this episode. You can see those in the podcast platform you're using right now. Check out the show notes on your player. And of course, always on the website, bestfriends.org slash podcast. Click on the link for episode 122. We'll have information about the grants, contact information for the network team, everything you need to know, bestfriends.org slash podcast. So what does a successfully funded proposal look like? Well, we thought it would be good to highlight the work of the Great Plains SPCA in Kansas to talk about how they use their No-Kill Excellence grant to launch a free three-week course that anyone, any organization in the country can take, and it just may be the thing you need to help you implement a behavior program to get more animals into homes and set them up with the best chance of success in their new lives. I am the Senior Director of Behavior and Training and Foster at Great Plains SPCA. I've been doing animal training and working in animal welfare for almost 20 years. And this is just something that I've just found incredibly passionate about. I have worked at multiple organizations around the Midwest, from Springfield to Kansas City, and behavior is just something that I've always been interested in. I know you're in Kansas, but I don't know a ton more than that. So uh, if you could tell me about the Great Plains SPCA. So Great Plains SPCA is based in a small city called Merriam, Kansas, but it is in the suburb of all of Kansas City. So we get lots and lots of animals. We see anywhere between four and 6,000 animals a year. There are three large animal shelters in the Casey area, and we are one of the three large animal shelters. We do transfers, we do public, we do, um, we have contracts with different um, cities and organizations around here. Um, but we do pretty much, we encompass pretty much all of all of the, the normal things that most animal shelters do. Well, since you're a recipient of a No-Kill Excellence grant, that tells me that Great Plains, SPCA, you're very successful at saving lives and you're saving at least 90% of the pets that come in. Yes, yes. So I have, um, at the previous shelter I used to work at, my former shelter life, I worked on basically teaching people how to decrease euthanasia. So there, lots of animals are getting euthanized for things like food aggression, for being overly shy and fearful, for being feral, things like those. Um, so I started some rehabilitation programs for shy and fearful animals and for high arousal animals. This program kind of escalated from there. Then I started working at Great Plains SPCA and they just kind of let me fly with all these really cool behavior programs, which has been really awesome. And so we've been able to do a lot of things that a lot of other shelters don't do, like what we call the fast team. We have a fast team, which is a group of all of our staff and volunteers work with each of our animals and they do promotions and they do um, what a lot of shelters do is after they've had them for say a hundred days, they'll give them all these like campaigns and stuff. Well, what's kind of unique to our program is that each of them get their unique campaign after they've been here 30 days, and that's every single animal. Um, and we're able to do it with um, the volunteers and the staff. So that's just kind of a couple of the behavior programs that we've been able to do. But what I talk about through this course, it's divided up into three different weeks. And we talk about behavior evaluations. Behavior evaluations are done differently depending on what shelter you work with. Um, what's kind of neat is that I've done all the evaluations. I've done the temperament testing. I've done the behavior evaluations. I've done the safer tests. I've done the aggression training. So I kind of made my own behavior evaluation up 
by by myself and then just kind of went with that. And instead of grading them, instead of people getting like our dogs or cats getting A, B, C, D, they just get what we say is just like actual notes. Um, and as we do that, that decreases euthanasia for a lot of shelters because a lot of times when they have poor grades, they just knock out the animals with the low grades. So those are some of the few things that we do. I highly recommend that this training to anyone. And what I really like about this training that I provide, it's really good for new shelters and it's also good for more advanced shelters. So as I go through my programs, I will give like a step one program and a step two program. So if you're a brand new shelter, I would say follow step one. This is how you start it. This is how you do it. And it's a little bit easier. And then for the people that are already doing programs like that, I have more advanced um, settings so that they can do the more advanced stuff. It's really for anyone and it's free. Like it's free because of the, the grant. So highly recommend it for everyone. Well, and that's why I'm thankful to be able to speak with you, Ashley, not, not only because I think this project really helps us understand the types of projects that a Rachel Ray save them all grant can fund, but also to spread the word about this because behavioral issues and shelters, it's something that so many communities struggle with. So as we have shelters, rescue organizations, starting to think about the work they do and what they could apply for in terms of a grant, can we talk about the genesis of, of your behavior program? You know, how did you realize, when did you realize that this was the right thing to apply for uh, and use that money to grow? I mean, it seems obvious because of the need and this proof of concept, but still, you know, I'm interested in how you all decided like, hey, from Kansas, we're going to do this virtual training program that anyone anywhere can take. Yep. So this was completely internal. This program was completely internal. We were doing all of these behavior programs. And the reason why we realized we needed it to be um, reached out to other shelters is because we kept going to, you know, these different conferences. And I realized we were doing everything that they were sharing and we were doing more than what they were sharing. So I'm like, we are so much more advanced than a lot of shelters. There's no reason we shouldn't be sharing this knowledge. I did share this knowledge with people in the Casey area, but we just didn't have the ability or, you know, the funding to be able to do it at a nationwide level. So because of this grant, we have been able to do this and it's been fantastic. I've been receiving phenomenal feedback from the shelters that are able to participate in this. Not only am I doing the three weeks training, but I'm also providing them YouTube videos and stuff so they can share with their volunteers and their staff just from basic training to advanced training too. I mean, listen, resources are scant for most, right? So hiring someone to solely focus on behavior can really just be a dream in many cases. I'm curious how that's something that you address in your course, you know, even the smallest organizations, how can they, if they take this course, you know, apply that to their particular situation? So a lot of those we have um, in our week three training, we talk about community partners and partnering with other groups such as prisons and board and trains. Um, and a lot of times they're able to help out. If you don't have the volunteer base, especially if you're a new shelter or a very small shelter, a lot of them don't have a large volunteer base. Also, they can't afford funding for these positions or behavior roles. So a lot of times we are just asking communities to help out with these programs. We do have smaller programs. So if you don't have the funding that you can for the um, these types of groups or you don't have behavior staff that you need or you're relying on, you know, one person to do like three jobs and they can't devote as much time as they want to the behavioral aspect. Part of the program is we do kind of talk about smaller programs and smaller steps before you get to the advance. So for smaller groups like that, I just give them kind of this the easier, smaller projects that they can work on that will help tremendously. Usually 
usually talking about like enrichment because a lot of enrichments you can do quite quickly and they are cost affordable for most people. So again, the bottom line, anyone can take this. Yes. Yeah. No, anyone can do this. A volunteer can do this. A staff can do this. I've made it incredibly easy for anyone to be able to participate in this program. Okay. So your perspective as a grant recipient is important because I, I feel like I have this opportunity to do like a little focus group, a, a, a one person focus group that can give some insight into that process. And because it's a focus group, feel free to be honest, please. You don't have to just lavish praise on best friends on the best friends podcast, I promise. But what has that grant experience been like for you? So I've actually done a lot of grants prior to this, and I did not find that this one was difficult compared to some of the other grants. There was a lot of course, you know, writing and tracking and getting numbers and, you know, making sure we had everything right, but it didn't take as much time as I thought it would when I first read it. And the tracking process has actually been quite easy because we have to do quarterly reporting and they even give us reminders. So they email us and say, hey, you got to do your tracking. It's due on this day. And then I go in there and I just poop, 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 poop. Best friends has probably been one of the easier processes that I've ever done. So I would definitely encourage people to do it. It doesn't take as much time as some of the other grants. I've been very thankful um, with the program that we've had with Best Friends. I think they've done an excellent job. Clear communication, keeping everything on track. Everything's been really, really great. Well, I will definitely pass that on to the team. They will love to hear that. You know, Ashley, as we wrap up here, what else would you like to say about your behavior program course or the grant process or anything? Yeah, I mean, it's an incredibly easy program. Please sign up for it. If you're a shelter today and you're listening to this, we talk about behavior evaluations. We talk about walking dots. We talk about behavior zones. We talk about how to promote animals. We talk about quality of life behavior, euthanasia assessments, and how to do them in a way that has each animal be an autonomous creature. So you look at them differently. We talk about training tools. We talk about training techniques, how to train the staff, how to train volunteers. We talk about our fast teams, which I talked about earlier. We talk about different types of enrichments, play groups, dog to dog introductions, community resources, behavior partners, behavior pharmaceuticals. Um, and then we also talk about tracking and reporting because that is how you know if you're progressing or not. All you have to do is go to our website. You just fill in a few answers about your shelter, then I send you a link to join. It is for one hour for three weeks. And if you can't do Wednesday, send me an email and I'll do some other days because I really want to make sure that you and your shelters are able to do this because it is a lot of great information and it, and it will save animals lives if you do it. Links to all of these things, again, the grant information on our website, bestfriends.org slash podcast, episode 122. Links in the show notes on your podcast player. Apply for a grant. We can't wait to hear what you're working on. And if it is something you need, definitely sign up for Ashley's three-week online course on creating a behavior program. Again, run by Ashley and one of our amazing No-Kill Excellent Grant recipients, the Great Plains SPCA in Kansas. Thank you to Bethany Hines, Kayla Sebo, Whitney Blyton, Kim Clonch, Tawny Hammond, and Mark Peralta for helping to produce this program. My name is John Dunn, and this is the Best Friends Podcast.